0: Welcome back to Sit Down Startup Podcast. I'm Pedro.
1: And I'm Tara. On this show, we bring inspiring stories from leaders in the startup space in a casual coffee shop style conversation. You'll hear how founders, makers and investors are building the new generation of disruptive startups. First off,
0: thanks to everyone who left us a review. It means a lot. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Startup. We will be using it to collect even more of your feedback and for selecting our upcoming guests.
1: For this episode, we have Rebecca Moore, COO at TravelNest. This European startup is reinventing the way property owners advertise their vacation rental properties to future guests by solving the problem of low occupancy for vacation rentals. TravelNest helps them by using data-driven insights to bring bookings and stats from across more than 30 booking sites. Plus, hear how Rebecca shapes TravelNest while also dealing with the real impacts of a global pandemic, both professionally and personally.
0: TravelNest is backed by Pentec Ventures, Mangrove Capital Partners, and Frontline Ventures. We invited Peter Laurent, Chief Operations Officer for the EMEA region at Zendesk to speak with Rebecca. He has over 30 years of experience working for top tech companies globally, including Workday, Google, and IBM. Peter is an inspiring leader who has already made huge strides in terms of growth and leadership at Zendesk. Are you ready to sit down and start up? Let's get into it.
2: Thank you for taking the time to to speak with us today, Bex. You know, if we were in person, no doubt we'd be meeting in a nice cafe somewhere. What's your favorite coffee shop drink? What can I buy you?
3: Oh, very kind of you. Thank you. Um, well, I really love cappuccino- cappuccinos with coconut milk. I can't make them at home very well, so I always buy them in coffee shops. And I'm, I've actually done a lot of research on the best tasting coconut milk that's out there. So I'm I'm pretty picky about which uh, coffee shop as well. I'll not give away the brand, but it is a very well known global coffee shop brand. So there you go. A coconut cappuccino.
2: Yeah, I just have one go to drink and I have only one coffee a day in, and that's a soy latte so not coconut but soy that's my my one a day so we're both picky about our milk <laughs> very picky very picky and based on the accent and you know this is a global audience you're based in edinburgh many people might not have been to edinburgh is there anything in particular in the city that you think is your favorite thing that people can come and visit
3: Uh, I mean, I don't honestly know where to start with Edinburgh because there's so much I could probably go on all day about it. It's it's a beautiful city with amazing architecture and heritage and also very vibrant culture and very current culture as well. And uh, it's actually a UNESCO World Heritage Site. So um, 75% of the buildings in Edinburgh are what we call listed. So they cannot be altered because they're of um, uh, historical importance. Um, and one of the, the buildings probably people know the most about Edinburgh is the castle which is right in the centre it's, a, it's an amazing impressive building and I actually uh, uh, learned recently that Edinburgh Castle is the most besieged castle in the whole of the UK so I thought that was a really interesting fact it's a great castle um, for protection because it's right on the top of a rock and um, But in modern days, uh, Edinburgh actually hosts one of the largest art festivals uh, in the world, and every year there's a fringe festival which attracts uh, over 2.7 million people within the month of August, uh, which swells the population to five times its normal population, which is pretty phenomenal when you think about it. And someone said a fact to me recently, which I just couldn't believes that um, the Edinburgh festival is actually second only in size to an Olympic Games wow. so if you think about that we're putting on close to an Olympic Games every year in Edinburgh uh, and for that reason it's a hugely visited city in the UK it's actually the second visited city in the whole of the UK after London uh, and a brilliant tourist attraction so we are very much looking forward to opening our doors again once uh, once the Hopefully the virus and, and COVID has subsided.
2: Oh dear, when we can travel again, that's near and dear, I think, to all of our heart and especially to to your company, Travelness. So that's a good segue to, to help our listeners understand more about your company and your role and the problem you're trying to solve in the travel industry.
3: Uh, we're, we, we're what we call ourselves a travel tech um, company and our aim is to make life easier for vacation rental owners we call them hosts so these are people that own uh, vacation rental properties and an amazing actually fact around that market is about 80% of the world's holiday homes and vacation rentals are owned by what you would call probably a more amateur um, host so they are one to five properties max uh, and they're probably doing it on top of a day job or another occupation uh, and at the same time, it is the fastest growing vertical in travel. And this accommodation type, you know, spearheaded by the likes of Airbnb and VRBO, has become incredibly popular. Um, and, and it's probably one of the last of the travel verticals to become properly, um, uh, make that switch to online. Uh, So because of that, there's still a huge amount of growth in serving that customer base uh, with the software and tooling they need to make a success of their ventures. And that's really where where we come in. Our CEO, Doug Stevenson, actually worked for his parents' uh, holiday rentals, vacation rentals business, and uh, they have about 100 properties in Scotland. And he realized how underserved that market was in terms of helping Uh, hosts and homeowners make the most out of their properties uh, to get to solve that problem of marketing for them. Um, There are actually many channels out there that have huge traveler audiences. Um, And so what we do is we solve that problem of getting you seen everywhere really easily. We remove all of that administrative burden of having to list on multiple different sites because we have one listing that you control with us that automatically feeds all the sites. And then we also take care of the inquiry side of things, the payment processing um, and the communication with with, with guests on, on behalf of the host. So we're simplifying a lot of it for the host to maximise their occupancy and, and bookings. Uh, and we're now really starting to grow our... Uh, Expertise and insight into how to optimise your property to maximise its chances of getting booked, and particularly with COVID coming along, behaviours have changed really quite dramatically with travel, and we've amassed a lot of insight on how to how to make that work in the in a very fast-changing environment. Uh, and I joined Travel Nest May twenty nineteen and um, so Doug was actually an incredible guy he was 19 when he founded the business wow. and he was 24 when i joined uh, and i'll not tell you how old i am but we do share the same age gap as sheryl sandberg and mark zuckerberg which is my fun fact
2: <laughs> <laughs> well hopefully one of these days you know Trouble Nest can be bigger than than uh, facebook so let's let's keep keep that uh, aspiration out there so I, you, you know you said that travelnest sort of works across the world's most popular booking sites. And that must give you that unique perspective on what's going on in the travel industry as a a whole. And you talked about, you know, COVID-19. How did the pandemic impact, you know, your plans?
3: Uh, It was quite a dramatic impact, I think, for any travel business. And just to set a bit of the kind of macro uh, climate for you, uh, certainly in the UK, about 50% of our property portfolios in the UK We're actually in 60 markets globally in terms of our our profile of properties, mostly Europe. Um, uh, The travel sector in the UK is the most highly furloughed sector, with about 73% of the workforce being furloughed, certainly in the first wave of lockdown. It's also got the highest proportion of jobs at risk. So there's data out there that suggests over 70% of jobs in the travel sector are at risk or have already been displaced. And in the UK, the total travel market shrunk by 34.4 billion in 2020 uh, against expectations. So, I mean, just to put that in perspective for you, that is the level of impact we've seen at a total market level for travel. And then Uh, What's been really interesting is the behaviour within travel has also changed dramatically. So we, through the first lockdown, saw unprecedented cancellations. Our bookings uh, went down to about 10% of expectations through that period, mostly to support essential workers who had to travel. And uh, we spent a long time doing nothing much other than processing cancellations which was a pretty hard uh, reality to face and then we actually uh, saw as as we went through that we conducted a survey to see what the traveller kind of aspirations might be and we suspected actually do you know what things are going to change fundamentally when we start to open up we suspect actually vacation rentals and in particular rural ones are going to see a huge um Surge, and that was most definitely the case. So when the certainly when the governments of the UK started to open up travel towards kind of end of June, July last year, we had um, we did more than double uh, that month in bookings than we had ever done before. Uh, we were completely rushed off our feet as the entire UK nation tried to cram their summer holidays into about an eight week. Um, period so we had the entire company have to just stop and help us process all of the bookings and the inquiries that were coming in Um, and uh, we'd also what I'm really really proud of through that period is is how much we have worked to look after our customers and we deal with all sides of that equation the guest booking side and obviously the, the hosts that own the properties as well and it's a very, very worrying time for our customers. Many of them, uh, their holiday property is their sole or significant source of their income. Um, and they had to just completely close their doors. And uh, we were faced with a, a huge uh, list of refunds to issue on their behalf. And when we went into the pandemic, we practiced a policy of we never took, um, held on to our owner's funds, we always passed the funds straight through to them when the bookings came through, um, which meant that a lot of those holidays and bookings had been paid for in advance to hosts. So we took the decision to actually shoulder the refunds on behalf behalf of our hosts so that the travellers were looked after and the travellers weren't feeling aggrieved by what for them was also a very stressful situation and then allowed our hosts to repay that debt when things opened up again out of future bookings to really try and alleviate the impact on them financially and I think that has stood us in very very good stead with our customer base it's actually amazing in situations like this where you get an opportunity to do something really quite special for your customers and if you take that opportunity it can create a I guess a relationship and a, a level of understanding that you wouldn't normally get to have with your customers so I'm incredibly proud of the team for how we've handled that.
2: That's great, and, and we'll talk about customers in a customers in a, in a minute. But uh, it's fantastic that you've taken that customer centric approach. You know, I think there's a saying about it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. And in the travel industry, you've seen high highs and you've seen low lows. How did you manage such a swing, all those that change, in pretty short time of space?
3: <laughs> well. Um, Just to put some some, some facts and figures to that swing, what we've really seen in in the change in behaviours in travellers is um, a shift to rural, a shift to vacation rentals and a shift to domestic and all of those three things all play in our favour. Uh, We are a predominantly rural portfolio and the uh, market share of rural properties increased by about 45%. Uh, All of our properties are vacation rentals and the market share of vacation rentals doubled in the space of a year. And then for, the, for us being more UK based, uh, the, the, the UK weather, the UK climate, I'm sure you'll probably know, is not the nicest. And most people try to holiday abroad rather than in the UK. So we actually saw a bump overall in, um, in travel, uh, tourism spends in the UK because we were, it was forced domestic travel. So those three things combined were a huge opportunity for us when, when things started to open up. Um, but if we rewind right back to the, the start of the pandemic, um, I actually took up my first ever board position in February 2020 uh, and took up, took up the CEO position in February 2020. And as you know, the, the pandemic started to kick in about three to four right weeks time. after that. <laughs> yeah. right so time. to say it's been a baptism of fire is yeah, somewhat of an understatement. Um, So obviously the first thing I had to do was, uh, together obviously with my leadership team, is um, make sure that we were working from home and we took the call early on that. We tested it thoroughly, made sure all of the systems and tooling was in place and functional uh, and got that set up and got us all working from home. Uh, they say only the paranoid survive and I had this intense paranoia that there's a chance someone in our team could be carrying the virus and we had a lovely office it was essentially one big room that is particularly good at spreading flu, coughs, colds, whatever. Um, so we got us all working from home pretty quickly and um, uh, which I'm m- incredibly glad we did because what actually transpired was the person that was holding, carrying the virus was in fact me. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> so I came down with all of the symptoms the first day we worked from home. Um, unfortunately, that was a Monday, so you know we'd had a few days apart, and I didn't end up in- infecting anybody. My whole family came down with it, and uh, was really quite ill with it for the. the two weeks of the acute periods um, initially with the virus, very worrying time personally uh, for me as very little was known about it at then at that point in time other than it was very dangerous and then I actually ended up developing long Covid and it came back and it affected my vision, extreme fatigue so so on a personal level it was incredibly difficult managing that, having a four-year-old to parent and, and, and work and then to also manage the team through things. Um, so after the working from home change was instigated the other things we had to, to do were also conserve our costs uh, and I'm incredibly grateful to the levels of engagement we've seen from our team throughout this. We asked the team to all take a voluntary salary reduction of, of 20% and we had 100% adoption to that within 24 hours and um, which is just absolutely incredible that the team took that um, approach and very much everybody's view was um, we all make a small sacrifice for the greater good so that nobody is out of work in this period. Um, so... So yeah, it shows some great, I guess, moral fiber commitment to each other and determination to get through this. Uh, we then went through um, the furlough scheme as well and, and um, took, took advantage of that. And at the same time, uh, had to completely re-engineer all of our customer processes because we were then dealing with an incredibly complex uh, cancellation, rebook, refund scenario Um, which had force majeure terms kicking in all over the place and um, very complex uh, terms and conditions depending on what channel we were working with. Um, So, yeah, a a huge call out to our customer service team through that period as well, who diligently worked through every single one of those, helped our customers and travellers through an incredibly stressful period of time to, to manage logistically through that. And then all of a sudden it all goes insanely busy and we've got the opposite problem. So we had to very quickly recruit some temps in and train them up to support us. So we'd spent time documenting all of our processes, making sure all the training material was up to date so that we could quickly switch people on uh, and automated quite a bit of our processes as well. Um, And we, we made sure we didn't furlough anyone from our engineering team so that they could keep working away at improving the product, improving the automation and and making strides for our our customers and our product Um, and also raise some more money. So so, uh, thanks to all of the cost cutting measures that we put in place, we ended the first three months of lockdown with the same amount of cash in the business that we had planned to have at that point in time. Uh, however, the thing that it really hurt us was that we were unable to grow during those three months. Uh, we had a very ambitious growth plan and we, we had to switch off all marketing completely. Um, because any marketing from a travel company through that period was attracting a lot of negative, quite rightly negative attention um, on, the, on, on the social channels. So we switched that all off. Uh, and uh, because of the switching we'd seen in the travel market and the, and that coming through in terms of bookings, it actually made us a very attractive proposition from a funding perspective. And we raised a follow on of one point eight million through the, the pandemic, which landed in kind of October, September, October time. All right. That's fantastic! Wow, what a year you've had. Yeah, it's
2: been pretty incredible. That, personally, and for the business, and and well, for your health, and uh, it's great to see you smiling and, and it's seemingly in, in great health. So, the fact that you could go through all of that change and take your team, come out with a healthy business, I think is testament to to you and and the leadership there. So, fantastic! Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, you know, as a chief operating officer. You know, can you describe what a typical day or a typical week, if, if such a beast exists, is is there a routine or, or is every day different?
3: And um, I do. I do genuinely mean it when I say every day is different. And that's why I love the job. And this year has been, I think, particularly extreme uh, in that sense. But if I was to actually pick my own title for this kind of a role, I'd probably rename it to Chief Problem Solver and uh, Chief Cheerleader. Or how about a Chief Marathon Runner? You? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm very, very fortunate. I've, I've worked in many different industries. I started out in food and drink, I've consulted, I've worked in banking, and then I went into travel tech and Scanner, and, and then moved from there into Travelness, so... I've, I've been very fortunate actually in all of those roles to have amassed, I think the, the skill I would call on the most is the team leadership, team motivation side of things and then the um, problem solving side of things and I think the thing is when you get to a COO level or a CEO level role in a business, by the time a, pro- a problem reaches you, all the easy wins have been taken care of the really straightforward easy decisions easy fixes easy resolutions clear-cut outcomes have been uh, resolved and the ones that land on your desk are the ones that are particularly complex and I actually love that I love that challenge and, and in particular for me that juncture of where it, it meets a, um, a, a crunchy kind of people uh, involvement issue with at the same time um, a commercial element, a business model element to it um, uh, and uh, processes, operations and how they work. When all those things combine in a problem, that's when I really, really love it and I love unraveling that and finding some uh, reimagining ways to do things or um, finding radical solutions to things. So so, yeah, I guess I guess I would say I'm chief problem solver and it's those kind of problems that come my way. And, and because of that, no two days really um, are the same.
2: You know, never a dull day. And, you know, as COO at uh, Zendesk in EMEA, you know, I also see part of my role is to look around corners and see what's about to come to find opportunities or or challenges that, that may be coming our way. And I've also seen just how important strong leadership and communication is in such a major time of flux, you know, we've got COVID-19, we've got Brexit happening, you know, major shifts in in uh, travel industry. You know, would you agree that strong leadership and communication is is essential and you know, what have you been doing to support your both employees and, and also your customers. You touched on it a bit, but if you could expand on, on some of the key themes as well.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I couldn't agree more. Um, leadership uh, we are seeing is, uh, is magnitudes more important, I think, now when there's so much uncertainty and so much we have to respond to that's going on uh, at a macro level and also within managing a business. Um Within our first three months of of lockdown, as I mentioned, back in kind of April time, we were rolling out a significant people or business change, probably back to back every two weeks, something significant and new was coming along. Uh, Some of those messages were incredibly tough, you know, asking everybody to take a pay cut, hugely tough message to deliver, especially when you know you've got some people who are on relatively lower salaries, who are... Parents, single parents, etc. And um, and we we got ourselves into a very good, I'd say, kind of rhythm and set of practices about how we did that. And um, first of all, it's front the decision in person. Get on a call and explain to everybody why and and give them as much transparency and detail as you can on the context and the why. And I always find if you can get people to a point where they understand that if they were in your shoes and they were faced with that decision, they would make the same call um, as much as possible to try and get people to that point um, uh, so that they have a a level of assurance and confidence in the decisions that you're making and why you're making them, and they can see the part that they can then play in in helping deliver them. So we always did a a, front it it very directly, either myself or the CEO, um, explain why uh, in, in a lot of detail, and then also cater to the fact that everybody likes to receive these difficult messages in a different way. Some people need to see it face to face. Some people need visual prompts. Some people want to go and read it in detail afterwards. Some people want to have somewhere they can go to ask all their questions. So we always made sure we were catering to all those different communication styles in terms of how people wanted to receive information. Uh, very detailed FAQs would always be prepared in advance leadership team always very well briefed and ready to handle any questions or queries that that came their way and also we always made sure the leadership team had as much time as we could give them to emotionally have their own reaction to things as well so they were prepared to then support their teams Um, and we found actually that process worked incredibly well and the feedback we had from our survey our staff surveys um, at the end of that lockdown period we were really really proud of in terms of how they'd they'd received that considering how difficult some of the the messaging had been. Uh, But it wasn't all doom and gloom as well. There were some really fun things that came out of it. So one of the things we initiated on our first ever test work from home day was a a daily check-in with the whole team. And I guess this is one of the benefits of having quite a small team. There's 42 of us in the company. You can get everyone together and have a fairly participatory event with the whole company. So we did these check-ins and we rot- rotated the hosting of it around the entire company. Everybody had to host one um, in succession. Uh, and someone had to set a challenge that morning for people to then do during the day and, and post during the day. They are usually through a medium like Slack, uh, their responses. So, And it could be anything and it was not work-related in the slightest. So... A couple of my, uh, my favourites were Find the Ugliest Ornament. Who has the ugliest ornament in their house? <laughs> and another one was um, uh, We've been on your Facebook pages and found the best photos of you dressed up. Guess who these people are in the in the company. Uh, someone did manage to get a photo of me dressed as Jack Sparrow on my Hindu. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but all of these things actually, in some ways, have helped us learn more about each other socially and personally than we would have done if we were all in an office together. And I think really brought us brought us close. We managed to do that every day for six months. Um, and then they, they started to get maybe a little bit um, jaded and we were so incredibly busy and life had started to re- resume some sort of normality m- normality that we, we we stopped doing them so frequently, but they 're back by popular demand now that we 're in our uh, quite an intense lockdown uh, situation uh, so that 's been a fantastic uh, uh, thing that's kept the team morale and spirit up, um, and then you know, we've done remote Christmas do's and things like that. Um, and we've been working very hard on getting a regular rhythm to our communications and constant communication, even when there's not much to say, um, because you can feel a certain level of radio silence when you're working remotely. Uh, that maybe you don't have in an office environment uh, that, that uh, that's important because as soon as things go quiet, people worry even if there's nothing to worry about. Yeah,
2: they'll assume the worst. They'll think you're hiding something.
3: But for me, I think one of the things that's the most important and valuable, and, and it's actually one of the things I miss the most about being in the office. So I'm trying to replicate other ways to do it. Is is feeling the pulse of the business from those. Coffee conversations, water cooler conversations in the kitchen, getting a drink. How's your day going? What's going on with you? And um, I really miss feeling that pulse from the front line. And um, so, actually, before Christmas, I set up a one-to-one with every single person in the in the company. And there was no agenda to that. It was just a, how are you? How have you been? What's going on with you? Tell me all about life with you. And it's one of the most valuable things I did. I think through the whole of this lockdown situation, the amount of uh, information I gathered from that around how genuinely people are feeling about our business, about things in general and tips and tricks and techniques and thoughts about what we could do differently. So we now have a programme of work associated to, to that to really help us uh invigorate again our our remote working and um uh supporting everybody through a challenging situation wow thank you for sharing that it's what strikes me when you talk about that is
2: it's clear it's consistent it's empathetic it's you know it's just having that regular drumbeat where people feel like it's okay to be vulnerable it's okay to share but everybody's in it together so that's wow excellent work thank you thanks max so we um We've talked about the industry, we've talked about your role, now let's pivot and talk about the customer experience. Um, so thinking about the customer, how do you go about prioritizing customer relationships across the various departments at Travelnest?
3: Yeah, it's a really good question and, and it's how do you do that when not everybody is everyday interfacing with, with customers? And so First of all, at an absolute company-wide level, our we call it our ultimate goal, I guess some companies might call it a mission or a vision, um, but our, our goal is to empower hosts to realise their ambitions by unlocking the potential of accommodation everywhere and we state up front our goal is to be the world's most host-centric company. So it's right there, coming from the very top of our business, from our CEO, that we are p- placing hosts front and centre of our business. Um, and then uh, we obviously have our, our teams that interface directly with those hosts. who so are constantly dealing with their um, frustrations, issues, opportunities every day. Um, and we do a lot of work to, sh- to take that data and um, to look for the sentiment and the hard facts and figures from that and share that in a voice of the customer around the business regularly so people can get a sense for for what the hot topics of the moment are Uh, and then we've actually through the last quarter embarked on a a, a program to really ratchet up our host performance and support uh, and we call these optimization calls and we've had our entire leadership team and that's now rolling out to whole business where we ask uh, them to go through a call uh, one to two times a week with different customers to work through their property and understand if there are opportunities to help them improve the performance of their their property and obviously we've got a lot of kind of training and documentation that helps them through that but most importantly people are engaging with our customers that wouldn't normally engage with customers. And they're using the product on behalf of our customers and understanding where the limitations are, the frustrations, the opportunities of what we can can do differently. I think that's really, really helped and pull back into the wider business to people that don't necessarily interface with the customer every day, where big opportunities are. Uh, And also how big an opportunity we have in this market the overriding sense we get from hosts when we speak to them like that is they're just incredibly grateful. They really enjoy the connection, they, they're they really desperate for the insight, the knowledge, the understanding, the reassurance that they're doing the right thing. So it also really inspires and invigorates us around our mission and that there's there is a huge problem to solve here, a real problem to solve here, and that we're on to something.
2: It, I mean, it's you've got a clear mission of, of putting the host first and And it's great that that is imbued across the organization. It seems to me that one of your key differentiators for your your customers Is the accessibility and extensibility of your platform, would you agree?
3: Yeah, so as I mentioned, most of our customers are, I I, maybe this is a bit of uh, an unfair way to describe them, but I say they're more on the amateur end of how they run their businesses um, and quite deliberately so. They don't want to have to employ people to help them. They they don't have the budget or resource to be able to do that. Uh, They may have another full-time job or another and project that they're running so they, they don't want to be burdened with a lot of ad, admin and because they're on the, the smaller end of the spectrum they don't have access to the data the market insights the understanding of where should I advertise and how should I advertise and how can I do that easily so if, it, it's, it's interesting because it is a B2B model per se but actually the service that we need to and should be giving is much more akin to a a b2c uh, service to a consumer uh, style of customer Uh, and everything we do is about making their lives easy taking away friction giving them reassurance uh, that they are going to they're on to something here working with us they're going to get something more than they would elsewhere Um, uh, so yeah it's it's quite a, an exciting mix of um, bringing the world of consumer and um, customer service and management which I'm used to from my, my sky scanner uh, days but also people that are you know some of these people a lot of these people are looking to create a new life for themselves and my brother is actually a customer of Travelnest. he built three lodges about 18 months ago and, and one of those is with us and um, we're using him for a head-to-head trial with a competitor uh, and so to be able to see firsthand a customer that i know and love very dearly and how much this means to them uh, and to be able to help them with that new venture and um, he's looking to create a new life for him and his family um, it really brings home to me um, uh, uh, what we're doing for customers and why what we do is, is so important
2: again great to, to hear that and you know, when I was doing a bit of, of research on, on Troublemester, I, I did look around at some of the reviews and it, it actually echoes perfectly what you were saying. You know, some of them were about resolving um, the issues very quickly and making sure all parties were happy, highly recommending you and being seen as um, fair and practical and having well-trained and experienced staff with agents who go that extra mile. So, I mean, Great job in, in creating that um, kind of excellence within the organization. How have you gone about fostering that culture of customer excellence? So you've talked about your brother, but how do you get everyone in the organization to have that same level of passion and focus?
3: It's a really good question, um, and I'd say when you're in a startup kind of level and you're and size, um, you still you always got a long list of system, process, efficiency, improvement that you want to get to and we're steadily kind of turning away at that but there is no substitute for hiring amazing people first of all, diligent, conscientious, positive people and I do have to actually credit Zendesk a bit with this philosophy because I, I attended your Relate conference maybe three, four years ago when I, I worked at Skyscanner Scanner. And you had an amazing set of speakers there. And one of the speakers was Mary Portis, who um, was very um, uh, popular at the time. She had a show called Mary, Queen of Shops, where she turned around charity shops performance. And something she said has always stuck in my mind. that There is no substitute for employing happy people. Um, and she took that lead from pret uh, when you're talking about service, you employ happy people, positive people, um, and I, I have to say the team we've got are fantastic in terms of their their um, ability to stay positive through all of what has gone on, their ability to react to the situation, to problem solve, to find a solution for customers. Uh, And their ability to work through processes that are probably quite inefficient, uh, you know, a product that's constantly maturing and evolving and changing. Uh, So certainly that's number one, is just a a fantastic team. Uh, And we are now getting to that scale level where we need to systemize that more. Uh, And so we're working with that team to start to put in in place more rigor and the knowledge bases, the FAQs, the and, um, you know, can we bought some responses with Autobots, et cetera. So a long way to go. But I think the foundation uh, is, uh, is really solid with the team that we have. That's great. And so we've got
2: this theme of team and, and the culture of the individuals. And, and you're trying to, to scale your business pretty you know, significantly in a short space of time as, as possible. And, and for many companies, they slow down as they create more processes as they add more people as complexity comes into into the business how are you going about making sure you remain agile and and continuing to be able to respond to shifts in in customer sentiment
3: yeah it's, it's a very um very good question it's something that actually i think you know if you're looking for silver linings it's something that we've learned uh, probably to quite an extreme level through the covid situation how to deal with it so and when the, the lockdowns have happened, depending on the severity, we have had to very quickly change our process for assessing if a booking can go ahead. Um, we have had to block some calendars out. We've had to re-educate our customers on these are the cleaning protocols now that you need to be able to demonstrate or... Um, consumer behaviour is really changing and they, they are nervous so they want very flexible cancellation policies they want short lead time bookings, short stays so what we a lot of what we've applied internally we've also applied externally with our, with our customers so um, we have a, what we actually call our Corona thought team but we meet three times a week um, and more f- frequently if we need to to assess the market understand what sentiment's going on in the market and react to it um, and or what government leaders are are asking of people as well and make sure we change our processes and communicate out rapidly. So I think because of that, we've learned to have a a, a to-the-minute understanding of consumer uh, influences, how consumers are feeling and how the market is feeling and we've also learned how to communicate that to our hosts and help our hosts and support our hosts through, through that. Uh, and then in the wider business side of things, um, being a travel tech business, obviously the product is, is a hugely important part of, and the product development is a hugely important part of that. And our, our long-term aim is to be entirely proactive in our customer service and as much of that to be through the product as, as possible. We have actually changed our product uh, development approach, set of processes and methodology uh, significantly, and we've moved away from Agile, which is what we, we previously practiced. And we're using the Basecamp shape-up methodology. And it works really well for a startup, um, because what you find when you're in a startup situation is you don't necessarily have the fully-fledged product done and dusted and you're optimising around the edges. You are still building out big chunks of your product and you have to do that relatively quickly. And what Basecamp does is it forces us to re-evaluate completely every six weeks what are the most important things we need to build. Um, like big features, big functionalities, big changes. So through that Uh, to the minute understanding of customer sentiment, market sentiment and and how our hosts are feeling and and all the engagement we're all doing all the time with our hosts to help them optimise as well. That is all feeding into a drumbeat with the product team that allows us to completely throw up in the air every six weeks what the major priorities are and then double down on what is relevant at that point in time. And then of course we have processes around making sure we stay on top of bugs and issues and, and the smaller, I guess, more reactive things that we need to do um, all the time as well. Great, uh, we're in the finishing stretches now.
2: Um, you talked just a little bit about it there. What attributes you know, makes you a successful startups? And if you went back in time and could give advice to you know, yourselves a few years ago, what advice would you give to yourself or to other entrepreneurs starting a, a business during these unprecedented times?
3: That's a great question. Um, I mean, to, to first of all, you've got to have an idea, a product um, a, that's worth um, building. So um, you, you've got to have a genuine problem that needs solving and you've got to have a big addressable audience for that product. So. Without those two things, you'll never get anywhere. But that's just the start. <laughs> um, uh, you obviously then need to understand that customer base, that market, and and how do they actually want that problem solved, and then be very close to those customers. Um, but then if I was going to go back and have a word with myself <laughs> or actually I speak about this very regularly with Doug as well. We, we talk about the mistakes we've made and the things we've got wrong. And if we could go and have a word with ourselves like a year ago, what, what would we do differently? And um, first of all, I think I would just say for anyone thinking of embarking on this. It's easy to watch programs like Silicon Valley or Holt and Catch Fire and think there's this wonderfully romantic, like, glamorized world of startups. Uh, and actually the reality is it is hard work. It is the hardest work you will probably ever take on in your life. Your resources are so limited uh, and your time frame to keep money lasting whilst you make meaningful gains so you can get more money and it's so short uh, that you have to be ready to to work harder than you have ever worked before in your life. And you need a team that are willing to do that as well. Um, So I think that's the first one. And then the second one is, um, I guess, and I touched on it there, is I, I cannot underscore enough how important the quality of the team is because your resources are so limited uh, and, you know, whenever Doug and I root cause something, we come back to the quality of the people is what makes or breaks us, the quality of our team, uh, our culture and uh, our you know, drive to perform. Uh, so I would always encourage any entrepreneur to over index on the quality of their recruitment and hiring processes and getting the absolute best level of talent into the business. Uh, For me, yeah, if you're prepared to work incredibly hard, you can build a very, very, very strong team and you've got a problem worth solving for a big addressable audience, I think everything else is then possible.
2: Wonderful. Thank you for sharing those experiences. Last question, looking forward. What's next for Travelnest?
3: Well, um, we are now expanding across Europe uh, aggressively. So we've got some very um, aggressive uh, growth plans for the year. I'm actually really proud to say that through 2020, despite the challenges that we had and you know having to go three months of zero bookings and no marketing and acquisition, we actually managed to grow over that year by over 125% our customers and 111% our revenue. So that growth story goes on this year and becomes more and more aggressive. So we're really wanting to build up our our property portfolio across Europe and we're now in in all markets across Europe. Uh, And we really wanted to take our product to the next level. Uh, we've learned so much now about how to get properties to perform to their absolute maximum limits, um, uh, taking into account all of the macro factors we're now starting to build out the engine that will sit within our product to give people to the minute advice on how to get the best level of performance, so we're very excited to be driving those those plans forward in our product uh, as well so yeah, we're we're hoping for our, our biggest year yet. Um, we are anticipating another huge surge in uh, vacation rental booking. So if you haven't booked your holiday yet, I recommend you get in there quickly on a flexible cancellation policy and get something booked. Um, hot tubs are always the ones that go first. Uh, and yeah, uh, very excited about uh, uh, the year to come.
2: Wonderful. Bex. thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today. you know It's been just fantastic to learn about travelness journey and how you've been able to grow so fast, You know, remain agile and build that culture of customer excellence as you scale. I look forward to seeing the great things that you and the team get up to in, in the future. And I will be looking for that hot tub holiday rental. So thanks for the tip. Thanks for sharing your story today.
3: Thanks so much for having me. I've really enjoyed uh, talking to you, Peter.
0: Thanks for joining the pod Rebecca, 2020 was a very unique and chaotic year for the travel industry. Thanks for sharing your insights and how TravelNest is navigating these uncertain times. And I also really like how both of you are very picky with your milk and are keeping the COO job fun.
1: We can learn a lot from TravelNest's story of going above and beyond to support customers. I can only imagine how stressful it was to process all of those cancellations and then to suddenly get an insane amount of bookings in such a short period of time, but they rose to the challenge. Leaders like you inspire us to keep moving. Thanks for sharing your story, Rebecca.
0: And if you liked this episode, help us grow. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast and leave a review. We'll be back next week with Michael Weistrack, founder and CEO at Freshly, a startup that recently got acquired by Nestle. Tune in next week to hear his story. Stay safe and hungry.